uh, that they've written, Pure Vision about the Magdalene Revelation. Then second up is a Channel Healer, Facilitator of Self-Actualization Workshops, artist and author Rosalind McGrath, filling us in on what Aphrodite, Persephone, and the mother of Mary Magdalene want us to know. But first, uh, a few announcements. Uh, have you heard this Saturday in a neighborhood near you, something is going on across the globe, and it's called Bubbles Beyond Borders. Well, Bubbles Beyond Borders, uh, as I said, takes place this Saturday, the 16th, around the world. It's a global campaign to support the dreams of women around the world. You can join individuals, organizations, and activists who will take to the streets this Saturday at 1 o'clock local time to blow bubbles for a powerful purpose, to pledge an action in support of girls and women's rights and dreams around the world, the right to respect, the right to an innocent childhood, the right to an education, the right to express themselves, the right to independence, the right to choose their own partners, the right to equal pay, the right to protection under the law, the right to vote and participate in government. You can find an event in your area on the website bubblesbeyondborders.org or you can go to Trista Hendren's Facebook page uh, or her website, The Girl God. So that's Bubbles, uh, Bubbles Beyond Borders. Sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, well, perhaps uh, you're one of us uh, who has been a bit disturbed uh, by the terrorist group uh, being referred to as ISIS. Well, uh, if you are, there's an online petition to uh, have that uh, have the media cease and desist. Uh, it's at the site care.org. I think you can find the link to the petition on my Karen Tate Facebook page. Uh, also, perhaps at the ISIS Oasis Sanctuary or the Fellowship of ISIS websites or Facebook pages. By all means, go and sign the position, petitions uh, when we talk about birthing the sacred feminine or goddess into our mainstream world. We certainly don't want it to have this negative connotation because you know how easily the sheeple are confused. Uh, this could be a teaching moment, so please, uh, let's turn this around. Go to care.org uh, or my Facebook page and sign the petition and share it around because we don't need ISIS associated with jihadists. And uh, I've been asked by uh, a former guest on the show, you might recognize his name, Reverend Patrick McCullum. Uh, he has been on the show several times. He's in the upcoming anthology that uh, is based on the Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio show. Uh, well, Patrick is uh, ready to hit the road again. He has a fall peace mission. Uh, he is a world peace visionary and planetary activist. He's been invited to participate in several significant world peace events, but he needs money for transportation. Uh, he has been invited to these events, but as is often the case, these groups don't have a lot of money to uh, you know, pay the transportation of their honored guests. Uh, so he is uh, on uh, Indiegogo uh, asking for uh, the community support. Um, you know, if you don't know who Patrick is, he uh, is one of the best-kept secrets in our world. Very few know that not only is he an interfaith chaplain, uh, and Wiccan priest who carries the knowledge of the old way. He's also been honored by spiritual leaders in many spiritual circles around the world, uh, including being named as inner 
uh, as World Inner Peace Ambassador by Buddhist spiritual leaders in Thailand. And uh, you might recall he was an honored guest at the World Culture Forum in Kazakhstan in 2010. So if you want to help Patrick, uh, you know, please do. Uh, go to the Indiegogo website, put in his name, Reverend Patrick McCollum, and um, his site will come up uh, because, you know, it, uh, doesn't, uh, it doesn't take that much. If there are a lot of us donating a little, it uh, adds up pretty quick. So please uh, be supportive uh, because the world is based on reciprocity. Uh, you give and the world gives back to you. Um, and this weekend, I wanted to share that I had the honor of attending and participating in the ritual installing the new Sepmet statue at her temple in Cactus Springs, uh, just outside Las Vegas. And what a marvelous ritual it was, seeing the sea of Sepmet priestesses all dressed in red, singing her chants, invoking her name, welcoming her to inhabit uh, her new statue, in her temple, well, I have to say it was pretty darn awesome. If you want to see pictures, uh, again, I'll direct you back to my Facebook page. Uh, there are a few there. You can see what the new statue looks like. She's pretty incredible. Or go to the Sekhmet Temple Facebook page uh, to see pictures of the new Sekhmet statue, which replaces the one stolen earlier this year. <clears throat> and please uh, save the date. Uh, if you're within driving distance of Los Angeles or Orange County, Please mark your calendar for September 27th. I am throwing a big party at the Goddess Temple of Orange County to launch my fourth book. Yes, I just had a book launch party in April for Goddess Calling. And I think the party was a pretty big hit. People were bursting at the seams, and um, I was so honored. It was so well attended by everyone. But this is my fourth book, so I'm asking you to come out again. The event is free. Uh, and uh, the fourth book is an anthology of some of my top-tier guests from this show who have been on Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio, and some will actually be there as my special guests. Uh, so please come enjoy the free party, the drumming, the singing, the sacred dancing. Uh, I've arranged a wonderful evening on the theme of celebrating partnership. And I hope it will tickle your sacred feminine and divine masculine, your yin and yang, your cognitive and intuitive minds, and hopefully offer a bit of inspiration. As, as I said before, it is free, so please come, uh, bring a friend, Saturday, September 27th from 7 to 10. Bring your drums in community spirit. Learn how we can offer an alternative to our patriarchal culture. So with all of that housekeeping uh, out of the way for tonight, uh, I, without further delay, uh, let me introduce you to Elizabeth and Lawrence by way of their bios. Um, Elizabeth with, uh, has a master's degree in English education from NYU and a BA in writing and communications. Um, she's also been trained in the Tibetan Buddhist Lama tradition and completed a three-year retreat. And while traveling extensively through uh, Tibet, Nepal, and India, she experienced the rich cultures and spiritual tr traditions practiced in these lands, and she received teachings on the various myths explored in the book in uh, pure vision, in particular that of Shambhala, from several eminent teachers, including the Dalai Lama. She is the author of Powerful Women, Changing the World, a blog dedicated to women's influence on world affairs. And Lawrence uh, Bernie, he was born in Caracas, Venezuela, where he lived for 10 years before moving with his family to Libya. His exploration of the underground tunnels used by Erwin Rommel's uh, 
Panzari, Panzari Africa. Uh, he'll have to tell us what that is, is a foundational element in pure vision. Lawrence studied modern European history and economics at the Institute for European Affairs in Lugano, Switzerland, before returning to the U.S. to pursue a degree in electrical engineering. Uh, he has a blog, The Yes Factor. It focuses on the power of the heart to influence change and create a new paradigm. And he's a student of both Christian and uh, Eastern mysticism. Uh, his website is perryburney.com, uh, or I think that's uh, probably uh, Elizabeth's, uh, perryburney.com. And um, a link to Angelina's blog, Powerful Women Changing the World, uh, is perryburney.wordpress.com. And we'll ask them to repeat those websites before we say goodbye tonight. But um, Lawrence, uh, Angelina, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Hi, Karen. Good to be here. So um, how did you come to write Pure Vision, the Magdalene Revelation, and what was the inspiration behind it? Well, uh, basically, when we met, we had both been into writing, and we decided we wanted to write a a book together. And uh, at the time, we, we had a lot of strong feelings about the Magdalene energy and the feminine wisdom. And we also simultaneously wanted to write about um, the Middle East dilemma, the Middle East crisis. And we thought, well, how do we do something like that in a book? Um, and we thought the best thing to do would to be presented in fiction. Uh, since, uh, as we know, music, films, um, books, uh, novels uh, are going to be a lot more powerful than a lot of times than people hearing something over the radio or over the news, uh, especially about a situation that they may either be tired of or have no particular interest in, but yet at the same time is really influencing their world. So we thought, well, how do we do this? And fiction was the way, so we decided to write a novel. Well, it's also a kind of a... Um a strategic way to sort of get in through the back door, too, don't you think? I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. these are hot-button issues that uh, gets people riled up, but if it comes, uh, you know, on the vehicle of fiction, um, you know, maybe you can say things that you couldn't so easily say if it were nonfiction. That's that's right. Well, we were thinking also you're going to be able to reach a far wider audience because you're doing it, like you're saying, through fiction, through a medium where people are going to be more receptive. Um, they can get a lot of information if you put a lot of information into your book, which is what we tried to do. There's a lot of research in the book. So we felt that if we'd reach a lar- larger audience, um, people would be more open to hearing it, especially if it was also entertaining. So that mm-hmm. was um, that's how we kind of put that that idea together. Okay. Well, you know, uh, generally um, fiction writers, um, I don't usually interview them unless the topic uh, is one where they can actually teach my audience, and I mm-hmm. felt you both could, uh, and, you know, that's really what I want to get into tonight, uh, mm-hmm. but but let's, you know, let's give a little bit of information uh, about the book, you know, in, in, you know, you know, maybe five or ten sentences, you know, what's sort of the synopsis of the book? Uh, well, Pure Vision, the Magdalene Revelation is basically about a worldwide march of women to Jerusalem to create an international peace capital 
to break the deadlock of uh, insanity that we're experiencing in the world today. And it revolves around the Middle East crisis, but it also brings in the the voice of women and, and the need for the divine feminine to step forward and, and take a take a frontline role because women and children are the ones who suffer the most in war. And it's right. women from all over the world for their own reasons decide to join this march of women. And it also revolves around a quest towards the Himalayas and some sacred treasures. So it has to do with a, a lot of spiritual energy entwined with um, the voice of women stepping forward and just saying, no more. Yes, sacred activism. Um, so uh, now, I mean, you know, the, a major theme of the book is, you know, feminine energy is is needed to balance the planet. That's a a common theme here on the show. You know, uh, my listeners all know that. You know, and that's uh, that's what we're working toward. Um, what would you say? Um, the, you know, you know, what can your book tell us about that that maybe we haven't heard before? I mean, where are women in the peace process? And and I guess what I'd love to hear your opinion about why why so many women are still in the shadows. You know. Um, why are they supporting the status quo? And uh, I mean, recently I heard women uh, on the internet uh, this video clip saying they didn't even want to be associated with feminism because you know all feminists are just victims. And that felt that sounded kind of twisted to me. Like you know they had been maybe sold a bill of goods. And I thought to myself, you know what's wrong with these women? And I, I wonder if you have any insight. Well. That's actually fairly strange to hear. Um, I think that a lot of times women think that feminism is some sort of dirty or negative word, like because um, I've also interviewed some people about the word uh, being a feminist, and they think that it somehow means that you're against men, that you um, don't have maybe your own identity in some way, that you're trying to just sort of join in with a group of people and, and just start screaming. They have some sort of vision that isn't actually reality. Mm-hmm. I think really being feminine is really being in touch with the feminine wisdom, energy that's within all of us. And I believe that our book touches on that. Of course, what we're doing is taking women as in a generality because the feminine energy is coming through them more so it's just within the body within the psyche and saying that that energy is also within all of us and that's what we all have to be moving um, and bringing to the fore and we're doing that in our particular book through what we call the Celine March and that's a march of women throughout the world who've come, who come, to, who are really coming together for all different types of reasons. And um, uh, so, when when I hear what you just said about people thinking that that it's, that women are somehow when they're feminine or feminist, they're some somehow at a loss. I believe they've been sold when you're said a bill of goods that just doesn't really make it. Yeah, that they're believing some kind of status quo, and it's really coming down a lot of times from a kind of male patriarchy True. that they're being used to used to hearing, and they feel as if they if they don't behave a certain way, they won't be able to move forward. Um, 
I, th- I also believe that that's part of it because you're trying to also, I guess what, what I'm trying to say is you're trying to establish yourself, a lot of women, using an old paradigm, if you, if you understand what I'm trying to say. You use yeah, a patriarchal yeah. they're, paradigm they're, they're, they're in order to move forward. They're still trying to work within the system. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and even though the system, from. you know, only wants to pay them 76 cents on the dollar uh, and devalues <laughs> their contribution. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I um, think that it, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, um, you know, I was thinking about uh, how timely, you know, it is that we're talking about this, you know, your the Peace March and everything in your book. Um, I, I don't know when you wrote this, but I'm thinking about the Arab Spring. I'm, You know, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, a lot of the revolutions, you know, we've, we've sort of had across the country. Um, did any of that inspire you? Um, I mean, what was the timing like for when you were writing this and when, those sorts of things were in the headlines. Well, well, we started this tent uh, back in 2000. So it was during like a lot of like my husband Lawrence was bringing home books, you know, with the Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and things like that. And I had come out of retreat and it just had a very natural feeling. I've been thinking, you know, the Magdalene type of energy, like what? How are we going to, you know, what is it that we're going to write about? And this whole issue of the Middle East, I mean, things were occurring then, but of course not the way they're occurring now. And I also think that there's uh, the Magdalene energy, so to speak, or the divine feminine was inspiring a lot of people at that time because there were books coming out about that, nonfiction books at the time. And we just started writing. We had a plot. We had the, the vision of of an international peace zone and and the movement towards what we were referring to as the grail. Um, And we had to create a plot around that. And as time went on, it was like a long research period. It took us about uh, about 2009 when we actually totally, with editing processes and research, it was like a nine-year process. And in the meantime, of course, other things came out, that had to do with Magdalene as well, but those things weren't really influencing us because we already had our our inspiration, but it had a lot of research that was involved with it and a lot of editing. But what we're finding now is just, we, we, as we were told by someone not too long ago, each each story or each, each person's um, journey has a moment when, what's that line, Lawrence, when it's like climatic? Um. It's a, uh, an idea that when, when you work on a project, until the project reaches its critical mass, there's nothing you can do to push it forward. But once the project reaches a critical mass, then there's nothing that can stop it. And that has a, a lot to do with, with what's happened with our book, because my own involvement with the Middle East started when I was 10 years old, and my family, my father worked for Exxon, moved to Libya, and I spent my formative years there five years from the time I was 10 to 15. And so the problems in the Middle East have been on my mind my entire life. I've watched this process just grow and just spiral increasingly out of control, and we wanted to step forward as a voice to say there is an alternative, there is a path forward, there is a way to break this dilemma, and it requires the voice of women primarily. So, I mean, I, I think that's a good segue to the question, where uh, where are women in the peace process? 
or are they absent? Are they there and we just don't hear about them with our, you know, media being the way it is? Well, you know, just like the right, the reading that I've done, it's like less than 5% of all of the global peace negotiations involve any women at all, which is absolutely crazy as far as I'm concerned. Um, what we have a lot, again, is like a, a recurring cycle. You want to resolve problems, again, in that aggressive or military manner um, over and over again. But as we've seen over the last uh, number of years, women are coming more and more to the fore. Um, let's say let's say that someone like Lema Gabawi um, in Liberia, where she organized Christian and Muslim women together, and they actually brought an end to the civil war there. And you're seeing more groups of women, even we hear on the news. Uh, of course, they're going to have a lot of abuse because they've started to come forward more, like in Afghanistan or in Egypt. Um, whereas you would probably 20 years ago, you would never even hear that they were coming forward. But yeah. they are, yeah, but now they are moving forward. So we're starting to see more and more of that occurring. And I believe, I believe, of course, I'm not in the inner circles of this, more women are starting to be put into some of the positions where they are voices uh, that are actually going to have some authority um, being at the, at the, at the, um, in the peace process, I should say. Uh, but unfortunately, for many, for a long period of time, they haven't been, and they still are fairly absent from the higher levels of authority that would actually give them more power. Right, right. Um, well, I, you know, I've interviewed Jean Shinoda Bowen, and she occasionally works with the uh, United Nations. And um, although big countries like the United States don't necessarily adhere to the policy, uh, she did mention that um, they actually have a rule there at the United Nations that whenever two countries sit down to negotiate something, it's a requirement that they have a woman at the table. And, uh, you know, I, I, it feels like to me people know what they ought to do, but we're so deeply entrenched in, and so many people make money off of conflict. Um, you know, I, I think that's what concerns me. You know, people could make money off of peace. You know, we might be at peace, but because, um, you know, the military-industrial complex gets rich, um, you know, I don't know, call me, a, call me a cynic, call me paranoid, but it almost feels like to me, you know, they're just moving around the, uh, the chess pieces on the board to keep you know, people at each other's throats so they stay rich. Uh, well, the basic premise of, of our story, Karen, is that there is no military, political, or economic solution to the Middle East. And the Middle East is the core problem facing the world today in terms of evolving violence that, that spirals out of that center. There has to be a spiritual leap and, and a leap in, in faith, and that's where the voice of women comes in, because we'll never solve this problem by putting more women at negotiating tables, because that's, the problem will not be solved there. It needs to be solved from the street level upward, something like Gandhi did, because you have to just change the societies from within and change the cultures and just say, we're not going to do this anymore. Right. And that's where the women have to come in and just say, no, this is ridiculous. We cannot continue this way. 
we have to stop and find a new way. Right, right. I agree. Um, so why why Magdalene? Um, it, was there a particular reason why you chose her? Uh, you know, when you had so many other goddesses that could have sort of carried the the story. I mean, was there actually a, a dream, a revelation? Um, I think well. I have the Christian background, and I've always, just interestingly enough, um, I never really thought of it when I was a kid. And I would start writing, I remember writing a story, it would be about Magdalene. And just the feeling, it's more of an intuitive state, a feeling of Magdalene's importance, you would say, Mm -hmm. um, uh, of her being a teacher, of her uh, spiritual value, and um, some connection to the the Christ um, Magdalene energy. Okay. Um, well, and, and maybe it was smart too because this way you could get the attention of Christians. Where if say you chose ISIS, then you know there would have been no um, no resonance, so to speak. It was, yeah, but it, I, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but it wasn't like an intellectual decision. It just okay. was like a natural that was, I guess, maybe someone else might say ISIS. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. For me, it, I think that was just like an individual's um, saying, like maybe you would say that or someone else might have said that. But in me, uh, it came out just Magdalene. It was just a natural feeling thought. Um, right, right. And uh, uh, so that's that's really not to separate that, though, from ISIS or anything or from yeah. Tara, from the Buddhism. Uh, for some reason, it's coming out Magdalene, but it's mm-hmm. actually connected, obviously, to all of it because it's really the feminine divine. Like when women will talk, some people who are Christian might say, "I'm praying to Mary," right? Yeah. And in Buddhism, yeah. they'll say, "Well, I'm praying to Tara." And right. in the end, right? Well, we're 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 praying to that mother divine or that high. Absolutely. Feminine. Or so, you know, as as a good friend of mine, uh, Jenny, who goes to our wisdom circle, says she likes to think of the uh, the sacred feminine uh, or the divine, you know, feminine essence as a diamond with all of these different facets. You know, and and we we call all of these different facets different names, but you know, they're all just part of that. Uh, you know that that one that one divine essence. You know that one diamond. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know you uh, you say that women's fear of their own power is part of their struggle. You know, I I, I thought that might have been what you were going to say as the answer to you know when I asked you know why are so many women still propping up the patriarchy you know instead mm-hmm. of trying to dissolve it. Um, I, well, so, so tell me, tell me about that. Um, uh, uh, you know how you see women's fear of their own power uh, as part of the struggle. Well, you know, I, I would also relate it to myself, and also, and what I see in other women as well. That part of it is fear of the power itself, um, the the feeling of power, uh, what power means. Um, sometimes even power is seen as a dirty word. Mm-hmm. Um, b- because it doesn't have, lo- you're not hearing love or warmth or what have you. You're hearing power, whereas you really be- have to realize that the power is what is enabling you to then enact that love or that protection um, to the fullest capacity. When you don't have power, 
you don't have the ability. So I think that um, fear of power um, is, is definitely part of it, and also fear of backlash from actually expressing power. That is also um, something I know that I've struggled with um, in feeling, and I believe also other women have struggled with, many women have struggled with, because they will see sometimes when they step out that it's not always going to be a pretty picture that they they will you know they will um have to have some swords thrown at them for their ideas and and things that are actually perhaps even unbelievable mm-hmm. uh, they would have never imagined that they would be going through um they then find themselves going through and right, right. then becomes the then comes the matter of whether or not you're going to stand up and continue or you're going to fall back right so i think right, that right. yeah so I think that well, is and, and I'm thinking too um, that uh, you know this this idea you know it, it's almost as if you know it, it it's kind of like the devil you know in a way you know if you're mm-hmm. used to subjugation if you're used to being exploited mm-hmm. and you know and some women don't see it that way you know they just accept being devalued as the norm and you know that's just sort of their place in society but you know maybe um, it's easier to accept that uh, what's familiar, you know, just like the the brutalized wife goes back to the husband who beats her, uh, rather than, um, you know, stepping up from the back seat and being at the wheel, you know, because being at the wheel, being in control, being in power, maybe is even scarier than being exploited, Oh, definitely so, because anything that you're used to, and then we see that, you know, with women, too, with um, when they've had domestic violence of any kind, or like you're saying, even just uh, being put down in their lives, what have you, you're used to something. You know what to expect. Yeah. Uh, fear of the unknown is a big one. Um, yeah. For, for all of us in certain ways, some people, of course, are a lot bolder. Uh, maybe they've gotten over a lot of that, but fear of the unknown can be pretty scary. Um, True. True. Uh, I mean, I hear it even in in circles where women know about this stuff. You know, there's Mm -hmm. this uh, lack of certainty that um, if we could find a way to dissolve the patriarchy, can we really, do we have our stuff together enough to actually replace it? You know, or would it just be you know, apocalyptic, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, all the structures of society that we, we have come to know, um, suddenly would they no longer be there? And uh, Well, they won't be. Yeah. It's an involvement, and it's, it's actually a revolution in spirit, and that's what our, our book expresses. It's, it requires a, a revolution in spirit and an involvement because it's a way of solving problems. It doesn't mean just women step forward and men step back. It's a way of evolving the way you look at a problem and the way you resolve conflict, because it's so much easier to throw weapons and money at a problem and think you're doing something, and then nobody can accuse you of backsliding. Well, no, that's not the case. We've seen that in Afghanistan and Iraq. Where are we? We're going back into Iraq, and we're leaving Afghanistan a mess. Right. We've spent thousands and thousands of lives, hundreds of thousands of lives of the locals, 
and and our entire national wealth has gone into these problems, and we've solved nothing. Right. Well, and, and you know, when you you talked about the heart and the spirit, and and you know, and and even though I think it's important that women step forward, I think it's it's not really in the genitals, you know. It's really exactly um, that's exactly it, right. You know, it's it, and, and I and I, I I figured, you know, you're on that page too, you know. I mean, uh, because there are just as many women out there who uh, don't really get this kind of mm-hmm. stuff, while there are men who are our allies, as I assume you are, Lawrence. Um, you know, speak a little bit about that. You know how we need new archetypes of, of, of you know, new archetypes for men, and you know how do we get around this perverted? Well, the classic archetypes are, are Gandhi and Martin Luther King, and these were very virile men who just approached problems differently, and and they had a, a tremendous courage. They had unlimited courage, and they had the faith of the power of their faith as as their bulwark. And that's the type of, of archetypes we need today. These are people who change society dramatically. A, a classic example is the way Jesus solved problems. That's why it was a, a, just, you know, we, why why Magdalene wasn't ever an option. It was just a natural thing because if you have the power of someone like Jesus who lived the life he did and the teachings that he presented have changed the whole world. And yet he could not have done this without women. He was always surrounded by women followers and yet for thousands of years these followers have been suppressed and and hidden and the the church or different churches different organizations have gone to great lengths to hide the contributions of Mary Magdalene and uh the apostle Thomas who plays a key part in in our in our story we we take the actual historical documents that have come forth the the gospels of Mary Magdalene that have been found the gospels of Thomas that have been found and, and presented in, in this day and age and, and are coming forward at a very interesting time in history. And they're rewriting the way we look at uh, Christianity and, and its roots, which are in Jerusalem. So, so Lawrence, let me, um, let me ask you, it's kind of a two-pronged question. When you hear Republicans talk about, um, you know, the Ryan budget and, uh, or, or the Pope is too liberal and too much like Jesus, you know, those, those sorts of things, you know, even though they're supposed to be the Christians. What do we do with people like that? Or can those people be brought around, or do we just have to wait for the next generation? No, no, they, they can be brought around, but that's not really the issue. You're not, trying to, you're not trying to bring people around. You're just trying to move forward. If you move the ball forward... These people will have no choice but to follow. Like Paramahansa Yogananda says, if you pull the ear, the head's going to follow. You just have to get enough people who step forward and say, we're going to do this differently. If enough people in the world just stepped forward and and said, no, we're not going to do this anymore, we're going to stand up and say, this is ridiculous, and that we're going to put ourselves on the front line and say no to what's going on in these various areas of the world. And we're not going to allow this to happen anymore. We're going to step forward and say no and just get in the middle of the situation. And then the, the, the congressmen and all these other people, they really have no power. They think they have power, but they don't have the power of ideas. They don't have the courage of their convictions. People like Gandhi did. People like Tolstoy did and, and his writings. And, and certainly Martin Luther King did. And no one would have dreamed he'd change society the way he did. Right, 
Right. Um, so uh, explain to my listeners, I, I mean, I know they know it, but maybe you can explain it in a way that they can take it and share it. How is subjugation and violence against women, um, and, and I would say maybe even uh, exploitation of the planet, uh, you know, destruction of, you know, species, all of that, you know, how, how is it directly connected to even further violence? Well, I think I'll start that one. Um, it, it really, if you have, if you're going to use, many times women are really used as, um, with regard to raping women, that uh, it's actually weapons of war. Uh, men in these situations who are fighting together know that if they systematically, like emasculate a society uh, by using by raping the women, by also raping the land. That's how they destroy their enemy. And each time this is occurring, in, uh, even in the smallest levels with domestic violence, we keep on adding to that picture. So on that level, it's just going to keep on creating a larger and larger um, problem for all of us if we keep if we allow women to or the feminine uh, we're not just talking about women but it seems to be a hatred for the feminine which mm-hmm. is also connected to the nurturing of the of the world through um uh, let's say when you're also raping the planet uh, destroying the ecosystem there's a mindset there that is um beyond like you're saying beyond the genitals Mm-hmm. It's 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 a it's it's taking the feminine and trashing it. That side of you or me, uh, whether we are male or female or whatever we consider ourselves, uh, we there's a need for the incorporation of the feminine. Something uh, I shouldn't say incorporation as if it's not part of you. It's a need of the acceptance of the feminine within you. Uh, within all of us, within the planet, so that we are not constantly destroying, uh, whether that be the planet or other people. Right. Um, so I think that's the level where we're also trying to take the take the book. Um, uh, we we want people to get that this isn't a woman against man thing. This is uh, an open your arms and open your heart uh, to the feminine part of you, and it's also not feminine takes over, masculine drops dead. <laughs> it's right. not that either. Right, it's, it's a balance. It's the balance, as much as we can be, right? Uh, sometimes things fluctuate, of course, but it's as much as we can be in that balance, we're going to then have the ability to heal and to have a, a whole world, a whole world. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And have you, um, in, in this question is for either of you, um, mm-hmm. I, I know the reception I get on occasion when I talk about this stuff. Um, men seem to be really afraid of this, um, as if somehow, you know, it's we're going to turn it into, you know, patriarchy in a skirt and suddenly <laughs> we're going to do to them what they've done to us. Um, I, I wonder if you have had any... Um, misunderstandings from men or backlash to the idea because I mean let's face it some people out there think the idea of caring and sharing you know you you equate it with weakness rather than wisdom 
Well, I don't think we've had much um, feedback on that level because our our book um, has a, a pretty frank uh, view of a lot of things that are going on in the Middle East, and there's a lot of, of, of spiritual elements. So it's not presented as as a strictly feminine. It's it's more of a radical remake of of society on on lots of levels. I think if if certain people look at it and they realize that this actually affects the the, the feminine role in their society then there may be more of a of a paranoia on that level because a lot of most societies on the planet if not almost all of them need to review the way that they deal with women it's just a tragedy on on, on our planet that that in in certain societies it, it's very obvious but in our own society when we look at at the way women are presented and the roles that they're given it's a lot of it's it's just pretty silly but it also, I just wanted to add uh, to that too. Like some of the men that I've gotten some reviews from, um, actually haven't really liked it because they're not seeing this as an idea of women. Just uh, they like the ideas of the book. I'm not so sure. Um, obviously, it's a novel, so I'm not like saying that I've been presenting to you know formally to men on some kind of um, uh, level other than this, them reading that novel and giving me some feedback. Right. Um, they actually enjoyed the the book. They enjoyed the level of the interaction because there's also male characters in the book, too. And they can see what we're trying to do with that energy, that you're not right. taking one side against another, that you're actually trying to fuse um, fuse it together um, for some ad- for advancement. Um, right. We haven't gotten to a level yet where where I, I we've had any kind of negative. I haven't had any negative feedback um, from men about the book at this time. But uh, you okay. might also be talking about other issues. I'm not quite sure. Of. So how um, in in for either of you, maybe maybe Lawrence can better speak to this. How can men accept the sacred feminine in themselves and support this uh, you know this paradigm shift? Well, it's just a matter of being comfortable with yourself. If you study your own psyche, we all have, like you said before, the yin and the yang. We all have the feminine, masculine energy. That's the basics. You know, the the, the Hindus presented this fabulously well. The Hindus have done the best job. Uh, you know, I'm sure Joseph Campbell would stand up and say they win the gold prize for presenting the whole Shiva and Shakti uh, balance that you have to have it's there in creation and destruction are part of the paradigm of the universe it's there always it's it's within you so you're you're turning a blind eye it's a form of self-hatred to deny the feminine in yourself and and that's led to a lot of the problems we have today if you're not comfortable with your own psyche which most people aren't because they're not willing to look within themselves and do the difficult work of a spiritual journey. If you step forward on on a true spiritual journey and do the work involved, you don't need to have all this other nonsense about power grabbing and and destroying the planet and running other people's lives because you're very busy on, on a very exciting adventure which has elements of danger of its own. The spiritual Mm -hmm. path is a very difficult and involved path and if people truly people don't want to undertake it they 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 don't want to do it but Lawrence you mentioned the Hindus okay 
Um, and and I, I'm I'm not arguing with you, but I, I I think I would be remiss not to ask, how do we reconcile what you just said about the about Hinduism, Shiva Shakti, with how society actually is in India? I mean, you know, we well, you know hear, heard paradigm, about the woman on the bus being raped of, with of a all pipe and today is is the paradox is there even in Christianity, Christ presents all these great. Teachings. They're, they're not subtle at all. They're just like right in your face about uh, the prodigal son and, and love your neighbor as yourself and, and what you do to the least of you is what you do to me. And yet you have someone like Paul Ryan claiming to be a Catholic and he's willing to cut the budget to the bone so he can give money to the rich people. I mean, right. that's, that's the paradox of all of these societies, Karen. It's the paradox that's within. That's one thing we do in our book. We look at this very... Uh, bluntly, this is a paradox in all societies. We've all got this where we, we can we can go to church, we can hear these teachings, which, like I say, the teachings of Jesus are so phenomenally simple and, and straightforward, and yet people can go and hear them and think they're practicing them and, and then just do horrible things to other portions of their society. Right. And it's, right. it's there in India, it's there in the Arab cultures, it's there... In, in our own society, we see it. It's, it's some kind of paradox that's built into the human equation, and that's why if you really undertake a spiritual path, then you face this very bluntly in yourself, and you realize that we're all doing this. All right. Right. Well, now in the book, um, you create an international peace zone in the old city of Jerusalem. Did you pick that place because it's such a hotbed of of uh, political turmoil? It's it's actually like a natural uh, because it's really the home of three of the world's largest religions. It's just very, very curiously interesting that these spiritual traditions really formulated there. And it's been, a, and, and also, as you said, it's been a source of conflict for thousands of years. You know, it's really something that, and it's not just within the region. It's something that really involves the world. You know, it's it's just spread across the whole world, uh, the whole Middle East scene. And the old city um, that we're talking about to have that international peace zone, it's not like this is just, this is not my idea uh, or like or Lawrence's idea. This is even back in 1947, uh, the people who were formulating the UN back there were just so brilliant and so intuitive and so knowledgeable. They knew that these areas are so, um, because they're such spiritual centers, it's because it's so powerful and not just for only those religions. There's just something, just the whole area is that way. They realized that that should have been an international peace zone, and that was what it was meant to be. It was actually grafted to be that even back then. And before that could take effect, once again, man, woman, whatever you want to call us, uh, crazy humans, we step back in and we decide, uh, of course, that they, uh, the, at the time, uh, the, the Jewish people, the, the Islamic people that were there, again, they continued to fight, and, of course, that never occurred. So it, it's interesting that even then they wanted to do that. And so we thought this was such a, a wise, wise idea 
And it seems to me to be what that is about. Jerusalem is about. Jerusalem is a city of peace. That is what it's meant to be. And it's just so interesting that it's one of the craziest places, uh, hotbeds uh, filled with anger in the world. And yet it's meant to be the city of peace. And that to create an international peace zone there, it's it's placing, putting a seed a seed of peace in an area, and it's only about a third of a square mile. It's not the city of Jerusalem itself. It's that small area within the old city walls mm-hmm. where the railing wall is, where the Dome mm-hmm. of the Rock is, where Golgotha, you know, which is, you know, people know as Calvary is. And it would not just be, of course, those are the three major religions there, but it wouldn't be just for that. It would be an international peace zone, for like a spiritual So is the idea if they can do it there, we can reproduce it everywhere else? I, I think, Karen, the idea is when you create, it's like sort of the old idea of when you put a seed somewhere, you're going to create, well, you know, you, you plant an apple seed, you get apple trees. You plant a seed of peace, you get peace. So it's creating, um, just like the old movie, a field of dreams. It's mm-hmm. a field of, it's a field, a literal field of peace. It's an international peace zone, meaning international. So it would not belong anymore to Israel or to Palestine or to that little area. Would be the whole world's feed of peace, and that is part of why we. That is not just part. That is the reason why we centered in on that, um, the old city of Jerusalem for that. Well, it sounds like an interesting book and certainly one that uh, feels like it's, you know, kind of ripped from the headlines. You know, whenever I go on a sacred pilgrimage, I like to bring a book that somehow has something to do with where I'm going or what the focus of my journey is about. And um, with everything in the news, this is the perfect time to read your book, Pure Vision, I think. It really is. It would be inspiring. Mm Well, we hope so. We definitely hope so. Well, we, uh, we're we getting to the point where we're going to have to wrap this up. Uh, is there anything um, you'd like to say about the book that maybe I haven't thought to ask you? Well, the one thing um, we do we haven't really touched on is we take some of the archetypes that, that men have used to, to build power for themselves. Um, we bring in a lot of things that the the Nazis did and, and the type of uh, their, their quest for the grail and their quest for instruments of power that date back to the time of Christ. And we, we bring these in and, and work the theme that men are still after these, these implements of power, these manifestations of the Holy Grail or what the, um, they call in Buddhism the wish-fulfilling jewel and how these things are actually very powerful people are knowledgeable and very conscious of their desire to possess these divine instruments and manifestations of of the Holy Spirit, and and they use this power, and they're aware of it, and that's one of the struggles that goes on behind the scenes, and we don't find out about it until much later, but it's still going on. Right, right. Very interesting, very interesting. Um, So, uh, Lawrence... um, uh, would you uh, like to go ahead and mention the websites again? Sure, sure. Angelina's is uh, terryberry.wordpress.com. And, and it's and it's about the powerful women changing, changing the, the world. world. 
and my um, blog is called The Yes Factor uh, on, on WordPress also, and it's um, I fill it with stories about uh, different uh, heroes and different people who have uh, you know changed things. Thomas Merton, Paramahansa Yogananda, and it's it's um, you know about uh, the 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 power of the heart to to uh, manifest change. The one other thing I, I would I would uh, say real quickly is that what you were talking about early in the show was. It's Panzer Army Africa, and that was the name of General Rommel's army group in North Africa, and that plays a, a part in our story. Was that like their tank division or something? Yes, <laughs> yes, the famous General Rommel in North Africa. Yeah, cause I, 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 I used to watch old war movies. I thought that might have been what it was. <laughs> okay. And just to add, one, one other thing is the book site is uh, com. And it's Perry with an I, P-E-R-R-I. Yeah, com. So uh, just because I'm curious, Angelina, um, your blog, Powerful Women Changing the World, I love that title. Uh, just throw out a couple names of some of the women that you've been writing about on the blog. Well, I just finished an article with Trista Hendren. Um, I have uh, done uh, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau, who is uh, married to this, a Canadian uh, in Parliament who is looking like he might be the next uh, running for president, <laughs> eventually. Um, Madeline Denono, who um, is uh, working with um, Gina Davis Institute. Um, my goodness, I'm drawing a blank for some reason now. So if we're looking for inspiration, if we say, you know, there are no role models out there, we can go to your blog and find some. There's definitely some, yes. There are definitely women out there, and uh, now I'm going to what I wanted to concentrate on further now are women who are really uh, spiritual leaders. I was doing women in different sectors, which is wonderful, political and, uh, you know, in the media, but I'm also looking to do more um, interviews now with women who are spiritual leaders or have uh, leaders in thought, spirit, spiritual leaders of thought. Okay. Well, Angelina Lawrence, it's been delightful. Um, Did you want to add a closing comment, Lawrence? Uh, Yes, I just wanted to say that Pure Vision, the Magdalene Revelation, is available as a book through Amazon, and it's also available as an e-book through Amazon. And thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. And I would imagine you can probably get it from your website, and maybe you can sign it. Do you do that? We do have an area on our website, yes. Okay. And are you on Facebook by any chance? We are on three in three different ways. I have my own uh, personal, which is Angelina Perry Bernie, and then we have uh, the, the book site. Right now is uh, is is uh, Pure Vision: The Magdalene Revelation. It's on Facebook, and also the Perry Bernie author page. Okay. Well, um, I appreciate the work you're doing out there in the world. Um, I I hope your book inspires people to realize uh, that we can actually achieve a new normal. So thank you. Thank you very much. I look forward to reading uh, the book myself. Oh, great. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. Okay. Good night. Well, listeners, I hope you have uh, enjoyed that interview as much as I did, and uh, we are about ready to... uh, cross the threshold uh, into the second part of the show. And uh, in just a moment, uh, we're going to be getting uh, to my next guest, uh, Rosalind McGrath. 
Uh, but first, I owe Joe Carson a commercial. So here goes. The psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet. It's called the chronic mind, the mind of the earth. Our ancestors understood that the animal and divine were all connected. They were together, that there wasn't a separation. And that's what we are trying to return to is that sense that our animal nature is divine. It doesn't get in the way of the divine. It gets us closer to it. What's your idea of being fully alive as a human being? Because that's what's really spiritual. Write it down. Start writing your own Bible if you want. Sex is sacred. And by that, I just mean sweaty, fun, happy sex. Well, that was uh, Serena Roney Dougal, Ph.D., speaking in Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. Dancing with Gaia explores the connection between Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the goddess as Gaia. It features 15 visionaries, uh, like Serena, who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves. The DVD comes with a 45-page mini-book, and you get both of those for just $20. And you can get your own copy at dancingwithgaia.com. I have seen the book. I have seen the DVD. It's very good stuff. So if you are, if it, if it sounds like something you're interested in for yourself or for a gift, um, don't hesitate. I think uh, I think you will be pleased. And uh, no, uh, there won't be a What's the Buzz segment tonight. I'm taking a little break after my trip this weekend, uh, trying to recuperate from all the festivities and travel and fun. But if you heard last week's episode, I'd love to hear from you. Yes, the one called uh, Awaken the Women. I spoke about women. Women who don't seem to be stepping up. Women who aren't trying to help dissolve the patriarchy. I've come to think these are women possibly afraid of their own power, afraid of change. Women who would uh, rather things stay the way they are than feel the discomfort of a new paradigm. Well, if that sounds a bit tantalizing, it's meant to be. Go back and listen. Don't miss it. I'd love to hear from me, uh, from you. Uh, give me your opinion about what the heck is wrong with way too many women. Um, as I said, I spoke it in last week's show called Awaken the Women. And uh, the summer uh, is upon us. I want to make sure I uh, tell you that... Uh, uh, you can hit the road on a self-driven goddess tour of the United States or abroad. But, you know, if you are not sure where to go or how to get there, you can check out my book, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations. Not only can you travel to sacred sites of the divine feminine up, uh, feminine up and down the West Coast or in other parts of the United States, uh, but you can find uh, international destinations as well. I am proud to say there's nothing like it between two covers. It's gotten prestigious endorsements. It's sold in all the usual places, even museum bookstores. Uh, it can be ordered from local booksellers, or you can get it on Amazon, or you know what? 
If you want the author, me, to sign it, you can go to KarenTate.com and uh, get a copy directly from myself. Uh, and check out some of the endorsements while you're there at uh, KarenTate.com. And yes, our sacred tour to Turkey is coming in May 2015. It is for men and women. Uh, we are going to be announcing the details very soon. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, please make sure you send me your name and email address so that I can uh, get you all the important uh, information about that. So uh, let me say hello to Roslyn. Hey, Roslyn. Hello. Thank you for calling in tonight and being my second guest on Voices of the Sacred Feminine. My pleasure. Let me uh, introduce you to my listeners by way of your bio, and then we're going to jump in and talk about what uh, what the goddesses want us to know. Um, so, dear listeners, we are about to chat with Rosalind Elena McGrath. She is a channel healer, facilitator of self-actualization sessions and workshops, and she's also an award-winning artist. She developed the paintings, poems, and meditations of her new book, Goddess Heart Rising, out of a 10-year process of bringing archetypal goddess energies into tangible form and channeled the messages which culminated in her new uh, her other new book the third mary 55 messages for empowering truth peace and grace from the mother of mary magdalene and in, in that all happened in just two months i think uh this past fall and this was all a response to an urgent inner call that rosalind had uh, she's also the author and illustrator of creative wisdom cards for personal growth and uh, she is the creator and narrator of A New Radiance, Chakra Blessings from the Divine Feminine Meditation CD. So, Rosalind, sounds like you've been a busy lady. Sounds like the Sacred Feminine has been nudging you and nudging you and nudging you and uh, just won't uh, stop until you get all of this out uh, so that people can learn from it. That, that is a great description. It seems like the, the nudge becomes stronger all the time um, because the, these, this energy is, is speaking to so many of us and saying it's time. Well, and, you know, I've, I have an astrologer who comes on rather regularly, and, you know, it seems like it's in the stars, too. I mean, you know, we're just on the cusp of of transformation and, um, you know, I, I think the, you know, all of this, you know, we're all doing our little parts. Uh, we each, you know, probably touch different segments of the world out there. And, you know, it's almost as if I think we're preparing people for change. You, you think? That makes a, a lot of sense. Um, you know, it, it, it change is one of those things I, I know I often think, Oh yes, yes, I like it, but <laughs> but then it is unsettling, you know, and and we do need some kind of gradual process and some some kind of oh hmm this connects to that, so yeah. Yeah, that makes yeah. I mean, yeah. we were talking. I was talking with my last guest, you know, about I guess sort of my disappointment that more women don't jump on the bandwagon, you know, that rather things stay the the way they are, even if it means they're devalued and underpaid and, you know, there's domestic violence and female female genital mutilation and, and, you know, and bride burning and on and on and on and on, you know. But it's almost as if, the you know, it's the devil they know uh, is less 
uh, scary than um, a, a paradigm shift. And I don't know, maybe it's the difference between, you know, whether we ride a roller coaster in white-knuckled fear or we're the type that flings our hands up and screams and enjoys the, the adrenaline rush. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, I, I think there's also an option too that that you can you can learn, oh, I can let go of that. Oh, that's okay. Oh, that worked out. You know? We are gonna have our different styles. I I believe we're all gonna get there in the sense that um the change is coming and it will come to be positive. It just looks like a total mess in the process. Yeah, it's like making um, sausage. And, <laughs> say that again? Well, you know, they say making sausage or making law, you know, they're messy business. You know, it's not uh, neat and clean. Mm-hmm. Or even having a baby. Think about birthing a baby. What could be messier? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so, okay. you know, I, I truly, I feel that compassion, you know, for the fear of change. I, I think it is part of us. And you can show yourself how change has worked for you. And you can learn to let go into that more. Yeah, you know, um, I, I mean, I actually wrote about it in my last, my, my, my book, Goddess Calling. It's sort of a liberation of surrender, you know, because it's it's like when you get a few wins under your belt, you know, when you start to yeah. realize that you can survive the change and maybe even thrive, then you're not so afraid. You know, you can sort of just surrender to it, and oh, it, it, that is really liberating. Mm-hmm. That, that might sound that, crazy. Um, there's definitely a lot of power there. <laughs> what? I, I said, I, it, I don't know. I said, you know, maybe, you know, maybe that's hard to wrap your mind around, but, you know, it, it makes sense to me on some level. You know, it's, um, it, it's like just um, having that, the certainty, um, you know, just sort of carries us, carries us through, you know, to know it's almost like heaven's faith, I guess. Yeah. I think at some point we just have to decide. You know, I'm I'm willing to 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 lay my bets on a more positive outcome or not. Right. Right. And right. and you put yourself more in. You make more of a commitment to being part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know, and it might mean that you know we all can't be so passive. You know, we have to be players and instead of voyeurs, <laughs> participants instead of voyeurs. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if if we really, um, uh, you know, feel like we have a stake in the outcome. Mm-hmm. And how could we not have that stake? Yeah. Right. As as long as we're alive, for sure, we do. So I'm sure that uh, many people are being activated by what you're sharing in your shows and your book. Well, I hope so. I hope so. You know, sometimes I I, um, I get um, disappointed because I feel like there really should be more women out there, you know, on the front lines, you know, marching in the streets or doing whatever. I, it makes me kind of crazy when I see women support the status quo you know, or even work against their own interests. Um, but you know, I guess it's all part of the, Paul, all part of the divine plan. A, a friend of mine says, "Karen, don't worry, it's all perfect. It's happening the way it's supposed to." <laughs> <laughs> so, so Rosalind, um, all right. So you're a channel, 
And um, I, I guess you're probably met with skepticism sometimes when you tell people you're a channel. Um, talk a little bit about that and, and channeling these, these ancient energies of, of Aphrodite and Persephone and, and not Mary Magdalene, but her mother. That's interesting. Usually everybody's on the Mary Magdalene um, journey, but you're, you're on the journey of Mary Magdalene's mother. Yeah. The, the 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 things that that make us different, eh? Um, the <laughs> well, she needed I, representation I, too. <laughs> yes, yes, actually, um, uh, you know, I I I experienced someone um, seeing me as having a very strong connection to Mary Magdalene as you know, perhaps being some aspect of her, and that kind of pushed me um to to admit something that I didn't want to talk about yeah. which was how much connection I felt to her mother um because it it did feel overwhelming to me and I I really wasn't sure I wanted to go to that place to connect there um but uh not long after that uh I received the the first uh, specific message from Mary Magdalene's mother um, saying, uh, talking about that connection, saying, I, I was the one who showed her how to send. I hmm. was the one who showed her how to send. I was the one who told her not to bend. I was the one who told her not to bend. I was the one who showed her love has no end. Love wow. has no end. Yeah. So, I, you know, I have to ask you, because I'm one of these practical Virgos and I don't have your ability mm. as a channel, were you always mm. a channel? Um, and uh, Or like when you first got your messages, did you like think you were losing your mind or what? <laughs> um, I, I, I had experienced the grace of a more gradual process. So I can look back and recognize more signs of my intuition when I was younger. But it wasn't how I saw myself. And I certainly was, um, you know, raised in a setting, I think like most of us, where you're appreciated for, you know, logic, a, a quick wit, you know, a, a different kind of use of your mind. And so I have that part of me too. In fact, my mother um, had complained to me on more than one occasion that I was too logical and that I should become a lawyer. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, so I definitely have the different facets, but I didn't even have the words for some of the intuition, although I, I did have some distinct examples of, of sort of having a precognition for food. That, was, that worked very much in my favor on a few occasions. But um, uh, for me, it was uh, as my, my life changed as I got uh, to the end of my 20s and early 30s. Um, I got sick, uh, n nothing life-threatening, but nothing that the doctor thought he could help me with. And for me, that meant, okay, I'm doing something that's not in the doctor world. And from there, my whole life started to open up, although it was not a pleasant process at the beginning. And so the kinds of things that worked for me were intuition-based. And to heal myself, I learned those things. And as I went down that road, I came more and more in touch with myself 
and that intuition revealed itself more clearly and that ability to channel, which, you know, I I, want to back up a little and, and share how I've come to see the concept of channeling. We are all channeling. We are all connected to to the non-physical and expressing it in some way or we would be purely physical. And so I believe that all of us, we, we have some non-physical connection that can become more conscious for us. And for some of us, it's, you know, some some people are great at things that I'm I'm never going to be great at. I can get better at, but it's going to take me more work. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a natural ability for me, and then my choice to use it has made it stronger. Well, you know, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest with you. You know, whenever I and I and I get and I go back to you know saying I'm a Virgo, um, I, I'm so afraid to delude myself. You know, that um, mm-hmm. sometimes I think I shut off. Uh, you know, maybe I would get more if I didn't have that attitude. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll admit mm-hmm. that right off the bat. But you know, I, I would I would be so afraid that the stuff I'm hearing um, or getting, however however it comes to you, was mm-hmm. just stuff in my own head, and it wasn't really right. coming from some otherworldly place. I mean, did you ever question? Is this just my imagination? Oh, I mean, certainly one of the gifts that I had early on was someone who who, who was available to hear my my impressions, my slightest impressions, and give um, pay attention to them and give them credence where I wouldn't have paid too much attention. And so that started to give me a little more confidence, but also I learned different tools to work with intuition, and I use them as a check and balance. And I certainly know that I'm not infallible. Um, I do know what my, you know, it's always harder to tell what your own energy is like, but I have some sense of my own energy, and I know what feels different. And so... I know it's me and what isn't me if I pay okay. attention. So you, and it's so from I, that I gather from what place, you sent me, yeah. I mean, you, you have channeled Aphrodite, Persephone, and the mother of Mary Magdalene, and mm-hmm. I guess they all feel like a different energy to you. You know yes. that you can, you know, um, tell one from another. Yes. I, and I also, it certainly helps because, you know, we are human beings, and, and confirmation helps, and we should have some skepticism, um, you know, of having someone that I do channeling for say, oh, your mannerisms completely changed. Oh, your voice changed so much. Oh, the way you used words, you used words that you wouldn't normally use. I can't observe myself that uh, specifically. Right. So um, to to have that reflected back to me, is certainly helpful. And even when I hear you say, oh, you know, you channel this goddess and that, and actually, you know, there's 15 in the book, and that's still, I think, how can, how can I say that I do that? <laughs> but, but it's because, and people take you know, me seriously and not think I'm in the room. <laughs> well, you know, I've never 
never, I don't know, I was born left-handed. I, I don't care better. It's like the, the world is always doing things differently than the way I am, and that's just the way it is. But, yeah. um, you know, also having a background in the arts, I mean, anything that's creative, there's a level of channeling. Where is this coming from? I yeah. don't know. So some say, you know, I've, I've written some things. Someone said, oh, you, that's what you wrote was your, from your higher self. You were channeling right. that part right. of you. Right, right. In right, this, right. sometimes I have confirmation because there's things I wouldn't know. Actually, in the Third Mary book, there's a word I've never heard of, you know, that was spelled out for me. She's very specific, you know, this word. Um, so that, uh, you know, my what I channel tends to be more, mm, you know, not always as very concrete and detailed as that. I'm, it's mm-hmm. not a Virgo type channel, yeah. um, uh, you know, but it's, so when I get that part in there too, I go, oh, I guess, you know. For, you pay attention. Ah, this is. I mean, it's almost I like do. somebody who, somebody who realizes that they've just uncovered a past life and they can somehow document it because they know something they couldn't have possibly known. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and with the, with the paintings, they each, the process of doing each painting reflected the energy of that goddess. So that showed me that this is more than me. And it's not that I am so special. It's that these energies are are saying, yeah, we are here. And those who are willing to be open and their system, and it's appropriate for their system, are going to receive it in some way. Okay, so I know this wasn't what we we're going to talk about, but you, but you know where we're going here, and, and we'll go back to what we were going to talk about. But just indulge me a minute. You know, I'm, we all <laughs> wonder about the the nature, the essence. You know what what is the divine? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I think it was the Hindus who said, you know, uh, you know, goddess is consciousness. I think the sea of being. You know, some people, mm-hmm. you know, have these ideas that maybe, you know, goddesses actually walked the earth. Um, after you having channeled these goddesses, what do you yeah. what do you think they are? Where are they? What, you know, where did they come from? What are you know? I, I'm just asking you to tell me, you know, the nature right. of God. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's peace, but <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, so I, you know, when you said that about walking the earth, I hear yes, we walk to the earth, and and we still do. It's not always in in a sense. It's not in the physical, and yet. Uh, you know, as as people look, especially women, into their own nature, they see reflections of these different goddesses if they mm-hmm. look into it. We're, mm-hmm. I believe, you know, my sense is there's a great vast oneness that we are part of, and that can be hard to get your mind around, but you, mm-hmm. you think of it as one huge organism. And then what you know is yourself is a focus. You know, we have to have some focus to have an experience. Yeah, otherwise we're all over the place. We're like a feather in the wind with no yeah. anchor. For the oneness to know itself, it's got to appear to have all these different parts. And so 
there's, you know, the facet that's you. And I can go, oh, wow. And her mind is, you know, has this sort of quality and, and she's picking up this this kind of awareness and, and I'm picking up this piece. And as it comes together, you know, something inspires both of us. So um, we're, we you know, those goddesses are part of who we are. And yeah, and, and I mean, I think we tend to, you know, we could be, we, we maybe, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's different for everybody, but, you know, I think we are, we tend to be drawn to a goddess whose, um, her essence, her ideals, um, we, we want to emulate or tend to emulate, you know, as a social justice activist, you know, I'm very much, uh, very much kind of a Sekhmet you know, find your sacred roar lioness, you know, um, mm-hmm. capable of doing battle uh, if necessary, you know. But then you have women who are much more Kuan Yin-like, you know, um, right. and that's okay too. Um, so I, I guess, you know, well, well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, Aphrodite and Persephone and and Mary Magdalene's mother, Um you know, if, if you had to describe each of them in a sentence or two, uh, I mean, is 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 Aphrodite the Aphrodite most of us learn about in grade school? You know, just the goddess of love and beauty. Because I, I mean, I've always thought there's so much more there. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm sure there are some stories about her that she might not agree with completely. That you know, that get a little distorted here and there. Um, my sense of Aphrodite is that she's about this unconditional earthly love. It is really this loving the physical, knowing it as embodying the divine. It makes and me so think of that whole, saying, you know, all acts of pleasure are her rituals. You know, yeah. uh, that's one of the things we say about God, it, about goddess, all acts of pleasure or her rituals. Mm-hmm. She, I mean, she loves us and all physicality and, and calls us to really accept our ourselves and our our physical being exactly as it is. Yeah, to love ourselves, no matter what that physical body looks like. Mm-hmm. Isn't that um, interesting? If, uh, uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I mean, just, this is I, a big I, one I, for I, women. I, well, and, and well, and, and you know, that that intuitively felt right to me. I mean, I actually even wrote a little bit about that in my Walking in Ancient Path book. You know, and and mm-hmm. and connected it to Aphrodite. You know, about you know to just love ourselves as we are. You know, don't fall prey to patriarchy's ideal of, uh, you know, idea of beauty. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's a, a social construction. We know that intellectually because you see it change in different cultures and different times and so on. Um, in, in the meditation um, that I channeled from Aphrodite, um, she, she speaks about the water, you know, that, that warm, sensual water and just letting yourself sink into it and coming into this deeply relaxed place where you let go of everything that is false. And uh, as you, 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 now you're in my world 
where physical, spiritual love abounds. Polluted thoughts and beliefs about sexuality and relationships are cleansed. Um, Any reluctance to cherish your body's poetry is redirected to reestablish awe at its capacity to give and receive love at every level and in every way. Now, you see, ideally, that's what I would think. Those are the kind of ideas that would be taught, you know, at an Aphrodite temple. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So, so Persephone, um, I know one of the things that we always struggle with with Persephone is the pre-patriarchal idea of Persephone and the, and the patriarchal idea of Persephone. And, you know, uh, I think it was, there may have been others, but Charlene Spretnak has rewritten uh, a pre-patriarchal myth of Demeter and Persephone and Hades and rape and assault isn't even, an abduction isn't even in it um, because, you know, a goddess, goddess you know, it, it, it has really has no place in, in it, you know. Um, it, it, that feels like it was more about men uh, controlling, you know, or... Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess to. I'm just wondering, uh, any thoughts about that in, as, as your knowledge of Persephone um, has come to you know, be? I, yeah, I would say it, my, my knowledge of Persephone is not, I'm not as familiar with her in a, um, consciously, at least, as some of the others. And it took me a while to recognize one of these paintings as being her. Um, but when I did and and the words started to come, it was very much about the aspect of her waiting, having to wait through the dark times and hold on to when um, the divine timing, you know, the appropriate timing for for the the visible growth for hmm. spring. Um, well, in a way, isn't it, that what we're all doing? You know, yeah. as as women, as we try to rebirth the sacred feminine, we are waiting, you know, and working, working and waiting mm-hmm. for, uh, for this this new consciousness to emerge and sprout and blossom. I I think uh, the human experience is, is going to involve some waiting for sure, and and certainly we socially. Uh, we're in in that time, um, although a very active type. And sometimes there is there are moments and ways in which there isn't a lot to do, where there's something deeper going on, and it may be more about stillness, which can be very challenging mm-hmm. when you like to be active. You know? True, true. And uh, yeah, and you're really pushed into uh, a more cave-like experience, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, when so you're sort of I, marinating, I, you know? Mm-hmm, it's it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of when you're marinating. Well, that's interesting. I, you know, that, that sort of gives me a new way to look at Persephone about stillness and waiting and marinating, having patience. Mm-hmm. And very much going into your core. But that's that's what sustains you. You have to come get to that very deep place in yourself and um and then that strength really propels you forward and and gives you this foundation 
for when you can take action and when things do synchronize um, in a more enjoyable way, you know, or at least a way where you can um, uh, more clearly be a player. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know I've sort of gotten off track uh, from what our talking points were tonight, um, but uh, you know, but some of them I definitely want to make sure we get to. Um, you okay. were to talk about the power of personal and cultural grief. Um, explain mm-hmm. what you mean by that, and and how we can use it to build anew. What is? Um, I, I'm not sure what, I even know what cultural grief is. Yeah, um I'm not sh- I'm not sure if I do either. <laughs> Other than that, it's it's I guess you know we we I mean, have I can certainly reason. grieve over our current yeah. culture, you know, that, that humanity <laughs> that humanity is so screwed up, you know, that so many there people is, There's a cultural grief that in our society that we uh feel a great sense of isolation often that we feel uh, cut off, and of course, you know, obviously, I don't mean everybody all the time. Da da da, because you know, I I am having another experience, but I also know this. You know, as a culture, we've become cut off from our souls culturally. Yeah, we're just consuming. <laughs> yeah. Yep, cut off from nature and cut off from from the the feminine face of God. There is a deep grief, and I believe you know, men are deeply affected by this too. Sure, yeah, this isn't healthy for anybody. Right. What what we all ultimately want is, is the wholeness. Yeah. To experience that wholeness, so there, I believe there is a great cultural grief in that sense, and that grief um, is is a necessity to really honor something that you deeply want to transform or revitalize, bring back to life. How could this be gone? How could I not have this? There has to be some way when it's a person who's passed on, we can't bring them back physically. Often we look, how can I really honor the memory of that person? What was valuable to them that I resonate with, what I believe is is their legacy obviously there's a you know a lot going on right now about robin williams passing right right i was actually he thinking touched about us. Yeah. so i mean he it, you know i don't know but it, it seems to me such a sense of we we know him even though there's i'm sure so much about his personal life we don't but he he gave himself you know in his way of sharing his talents so that we were affected by his energy and and the beauty of what he shared and and you know a grief that that is not there well what what do we see as most um meaningful to us, us personally about his life and how can we carry it forward and you know I couldn't in thinking about him I couldn't help but connect the dots that, you know, in his death, in his giving up, um, I, I think I, that one of the messages that I got was uh, it's not success, it's not money, those things don't sustain you. Because he certainly had success, he certainly had um, adoration, he, he had money, um, but it wasn't enough, you know. 
and uh, yeah. I, I and I think that sort of brings me to <clears throat> one of the things that you know I guess I talk about you know as as we talk about this paradigm shift is we really have to rethink our values you know because maybe the things this culture tells us are important or not really the things that will sustain us. Mhm. And I think that you know grief that that true grief it shows you what's important to you if you mm-hmm. look look at what's in it. Right. Right. Um now you said something you were going to talk about secrets of key women in the dawn of Christianity and their relevance today. That that uh that sounds interesting. Tell us about that. Well, I and I know, um, you know, I certainly would not be the first one to say some of this. There, there's different versions of the story, but I mean, Mary Magdalene, everything that that I have always received and resonated with is her her partnership with Jesus, and um, she was a very um, vital part of the mission of of love of really um ex- that we can experience earth as a paradise that we are we are encoded to have that um we want we want to activate that we want to come together um in in peace and joy and harmony and um there you know there was certainly a, a patriarchy then and there was a lot of goddess culture going on um and so my um my receiving of these messages um speaks about there being these covens these groups of women um that Mary Magdalene's mother was part of that she was a teacher in um that Mary Magdalene as we know her by that name uh was was raised in this tradition as well as the the um Jewish tradition at the time um i make a point actually of not looking at history because i want to know that what i'm getting is what i'm getting yeah, um, yeah. So I, I may not always have uh, a word come clearly to me um, that scholars would would know. You know, someday I may look at more of that. But the, these women, they there was a whole underground culture that was very strong because it, they there were less generations between them and the goddess culture. Sure. And they had great challenges um i you know that it was a much harsher time um in spite of all the inequities we see and the horrors tragedies that we know about it was it was worse then there there wasn't uh, as much shared value of honoring of human life of individual autonomy and and of women um so they they strengthened themselves with with the separation that they had from men they were very strong and they um 
they knew that their part in reawakening the divinity within all humanity actually had to start with the women. And that even when there were key men leading the way, they always knew how vital their nurturance of this was. Well, Rosalind, we have about 10 minutes left, so um, mm-hmm. and that's going to go by quickly. Uh, what uh, I, I was going to ask you, that what was the true mission of Jesus and Mary Magdalene? Is that a good direction to go in, or do you think there's something more important you'd rather use the last 10 minutes for? Um, well, I'm... I can, I'm going to address that very simply and clearly um, because I, I certainly wouldn't want to bypass it. And I'm going to I'm going to preface this by saying, you know, we grow up with things like love songs, right? Love is this feeling. Love is this gushy thing. Uh, makes us feel vulnerable, maybe. Da da da. But love love is an energy. It is actual building block of the universe. And when we tap into it, anything is possible. And their mission truly was love, which can sound very simplistic. But what's simple, obviously, can, you know, is doesn't mean that it's easy. Right. And right. to really embrace everything with love, I mean, hey, we 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 are all working on that. And to really know ourselves as part of all the dimensions, all of the divinity. That truth, that oneness, that love, is that mission. So for all of us to, well, I mean, and, and that's what Jesus spoke about all the time too, wasn't it? Yes. Um, I mean, I, so, I I do think there are distortions, you know, in some of the stories, but you can't quite wash away that this really was the message. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, when you think about it, uh, I mean, you know, we talk about goddess ideals, caring, sharing, partnership. I mean, you could just as easily say love, you know? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, it, it all comes under the love umbrella. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, there there are things people say, oh, I've been hurt by love. It's not love that hurts. It's attachment that hurts. It's our stuff that comes up that hurts. It's all these things that love um, maybe challenge us, challenges us to go through. Right. But because we're we're drawn to the love, but then we have some crap to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and I'm a firm believer that you know that old saying, "What doesn't kill us does make us stronger." You know, it's the challenges that uh, define us and how we, you know, respond to that. Do we learn from it? How do we react to it? Definitely. I I think of it often as the fertilizer. You know, are you going to grow something out of the fertilizer? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 absolutely. (laughs) You just Mm -hmm. put it nicely. Are you going to grow something out of it? So, Rosalyn, you have several books. I want to give the titles again. You have The Third Mary, 55 Messages for Empowering Truth, Peace, and um, and Grace from the uh, Mother of Mary Magdalene. Um, 
No, oh, and oh, so she is the third Mary because there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's Mary Magdalene, and she's the the mother of Mary yes. Magdalene is the third Mary. Yes, Mary, Mary Magdalene, and and yeah, um, mm. and then uh, you have creative wisdom cards for personal growth, or those um, like you know, sort of like uh, inspirational, um, I, I, you know, those like tarot cards, or um, what, what are those? Uh, they're guidance cards. So um, they're, you know, you, you, you pick a card to assist you with now. Okay. And, and so looking at the images, which have a lot of color and flow and uh, like a kind of spiritual level, uh, metaphysical level of nature, um, and then there are questions on the back to consider uh, a message directly from that image and suggestions uh, for for taking this further, things to contemplate over time. And it's all your art, I would imagine. It is. It, it started from the art, and I waited till uh, it was about a year after these. Just really, I, I love I love these drawings. You know, I've done other art that I. But when I did this, I thought, wow, this is for a wider group of people. This, I think, people are calling for. And I waited till I had a sense of what to do with these images. And it took about a year. And then uh, the words started coming to go on the back of the cards. That sounds incredible. Um, on your websites, you have goddessheartrising.com. You have the thethirdmary.com. And you're on Facebook as Rosalind McGrath Books. Um, do we see any of your art or any of these wisdom cards there? Uh, the wi- actually, I'll add one more um, site. It's IntuitiveLearningCreations.com. Okay. Um, there's an S on the end, uh, and that has is sort of the base out of which all these branches spread, and the Creative Wisdom cards are on there. Okay. Um, and the Goddess Heart Rising site, um, you'll you'll see a number of the goddess images and also some excerpts and blog posts. And the third Mary, um, I did uh, a painting of her, actually a couple, and one of those is included in Goddess Heart Rising and also a portion of it on the cover. And so um, you'll see some of that on the third Mary site. So I, you um, you have been doing this yeah. for ten years. So you uh, obviously have gotten a lot of information. Um, to wrap this up, what would you say mm-hmm. is the most important or the most surprising message that you feel is in, maybe important to leave with listeners? Hmm. I'm going to give a little combo here. Know yourself. Trust yourself. Universal we truth. each have a, yeah, we each have a different aspect of of the mission of of bringing this paradise forward. So you need to know yourself and trust yourself to be able to do your part. Hmm. Wow. You know, I'm saying that because. Um, that reminds me of uh, a time I was I was actually being taught to I guess channel, and I didn't think I'd be able to do it, 
And uh, but I went along with it anyway. I you know just sort of put aside my self doubt. And I don't have time to tell the whole story, but mm-hmm. I felt I invited ISIS to enter me and speak. And no one was more surprised than me when myself, you could kind of feel yourself sort of move to the side and something actually did come through that was not from your mind. And Mm -hmm. um, the message that came through was as I looked at each woman in the room eye to eye was you are all on a separate path doing important and different work, but you are all my daughter's. And um, it sounds like almost the very same thing you just said. Mm-hmm. You know Thank that we're you all for doing. Sharing that. Yeah. yeah. And I just um, I I feel compelled also to share um, part how my connection to Mary Magdalene's mother was deeply activated um, by. Whew, wow. It's intense how the name just goes right out. Um, by Flo Evie Magdalena's book, I Remember Union. Although Mary Magdalene's mother is mentioned so briefly there, for me, she was such a powerful presence. And allowing myself to connect with her consciously now has bumped up everything in my life. It's grounded everything. It's it makes all the other connections stronger because this deep foundation is conscious for me because I have gotten to know myself better through this and because of that I can trust better. That's beautiful. Very beautiful. Well, Rosalind, thank you. Um, Thank you for... um, doing what you're doing and and for bringing these uh, essences, these archetypes, these energies uh, to us so that maybe we can get to know them a little better and, um, you know, and and learn from you that, you know, doing this stuff is possible and, you know, hearing these messages. um, You know, I'm, I'm glad there are folks like you that can do this kind of stuff. And I'm very glad there's folks like you getting the word out and your own part of the puzzle, too. I I look forward to learning more about that myself. So thank you very much. Okay. Well, thank you. uh, Thank you, Rosalind. Keep in touch and, um, you know, uh, let me know when you have something new going on and we'll have another chat. I will. Sounds wonderful. And and, um, I really uh, appreciate this also for me inspiring conversation. So I look look forward to what comes forth. <laughs> well, if, if you get a message for me, you know how to reach me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> All right, Rosalind. And, thank you. And vice uh-huh. versa. Okay. <laughs> <Isis> daughter. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. You're very welcome. And okay. Good night. Good night. Well, dear listeners, I think uh, a lot of what we've been talking about is about our awakening. So I feel inspired to play this from Alea Deo. Time to awaken to your call. 
I'm just saying, a lot of work goes into doing this show every week, year in and year out, finding guests, getting them all lined up to talk about uh, things I think you're going to benefit from and enjoy and resonate with. Um, and uh, I, well, here I am doing my PBS thing, as I have to every week, but I think you know I have to pay out of my pocket uh, for the radio show. Uh, and you can show your appreciation and support by either sending a donation to help keep Voices of the Sacred Feminine on the air, uh, or you can help me by buying one of my books. Uh, you can get, get it from a local bookseller or uh, from me directly if you'd like me to sign it. Even Amazon is a last resort. And I want to uh, give a shout-out to Reverend Anna, foundress of the Sophia Center in Las Vegas, for her recent order of several of my books and the Sistrum. And uh, as I wrap up another show, uh, I hope you'll enjoy um, this audio outtake uh, that I'm going to play. It's of me when I was interviewed for the important documentary, Femme, Women Healing the World. And if you want to see the documentary, please go to my website, KarenTate.com. You can download it there or find out how to stream it. Uh, it's all there on the first page of my website, or just Google Fem the Movie. You can do it that way, too, because believe me, dear listeners, this documentary, without a doubt, should be required viewing for women and men the world over. We, the cognitive minority, who are waiting for the rest of the world to wake up to what we know will change the world for the better, are, handle, are uh, handing the world this tool of this documentary to help educate. So please avail yourself of it, watch it, share it, spread the word. And uh, here's just a quick little outtake. This got left on the cutting room floor. Well, yeah, I've had a one-sided view of the divine. And the reason we've had a one-sided view of the divine is because the myths that uh, our society lives by are the myths that only speak about a male god, when, in fact, a goddess has been around for 30, 30 or 40,000 years. Uh, we can look to the artifacts. We can look to the archaeological sites. We can look to the textiles. We can look to the myths. But, you know, because religion is about power and politics, uh, the sacred feminine has sort of been swept beneath the sands of time. And uh, the mythology of goddess uh, has been uh, obscured purposefully uh, because this is all about um, uh, uplifting uh, the patriarchy as opposed to um, having a balanced society where you have the attributes of the feminine and the masculine uh, in control in society. So when you consider that uh, one person's myth is another person's religion, uh, and, and when that myth is um, dominated by a male guide, well, then you have male leadership uh, that, that predominates in society. So as a result, women have been subjugated and goddesses uh, become our role models, they become our archetypes. So when we only have a male god that, that is at the center of society, well that sets the male gender up to be the leader of the society and, and that then um, subjugates women to sort of a second class supporting role rather than a partnership, rather than uh, an equal role where they are uh, in a sense, um, 
you know, looking over humankind together or men and women or uh, leading and ruling together. There you go. That was uh, me and one of the audio outtakes from Sam, Women Healing the World, Sam the Movie. Um, As I close tonight, um, uh, I I wanted to share some words that I believe would be those of Sekhmet uh, when we hear her voice. Uh, I think if we could hear her talk, uh, we would hear her say this. I am the roar of truth. I say what others will not. I do what others will not do. I am who others will not be. I am limitless, boundless, infinite, unmeasurable. I am legend because I choose to be. And dare I say, listeners, those of us who are her priestesses, share that spark. So go out and find your sacred roar, listeners. Go out there and make a difference in the world. So until next week, I will leave you with this Sekhmet mix by the wonderful group out in Las Vegas called Zingaya. Enjoy, and I'll be back next Wednesday. Desert, heart, fire.